With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. There's a time and a place for black and white. Like when you're learning to play piano. Or when you want a big two-toned cookie. Or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white. So go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing. From banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 18 Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to an all-new Turf Show Times Radio. This is your boy, Josh Webb, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, my partner in crime, my likely snitch, if I ever get caught, Mr. 3K, Joe McAtee. Joe, how you doing? That's That's a horrible intro. Start that over. (laughs) Erase that. No, I'm playing. I'm playing. What's up, man? Ah, well, hey, man. Uh, given given your job and your past duties uh, for the government, I, I don't anticipate that I get away with much around you. I don't even get away with anything uh, on, on Turf Show Times. But that is neither, <laughs> that is neither here nor there. Uh, today we have an absolutely fabulous episode packed for you. Uh, we are actually likely going to jump right over the bill stuff because we covered it in the last podcast. Uh, so, Joe, before I introduce our guest, do you have any final thoughts on that Bills game uh, as things have marinated from an instant reaction to now here later in the week? I don't really have anything from the game. I- I'm-, I'm interested to see. You know, one of these things is because we're only through – I guess now through five weeks, but, you know, early on when you're talking about San Francisco and kind of the Tampa Bay game, it's hard to get a sense of who those teams are. And I think for Buffalo, the way they started and then the way they responded in weeks three and four, the the feeling you got, or at least that I got from talking to the guys at Buffalo Rumblings was, you know, that they had flipped a switch and, and that they were. Uh, you know, trying to figure out which team they were, the team of the first two weeks or the team of the latter two weeks. And at least for week five, it seemed like they were kind of the team from weeks three and four and the way that they, you know, installed the run and uh, were able to get that pick six in the game. And obviously, you know, the kind of narrative that's come out of that is that they played Fisher ball better than uh, Jeff Fisher's Rams did. I'm interested to see how maybe week five propels them. And maybe this is one of those games that we look back and say, Buffalo wasn't really a bad team. Uh, and it doesn't, it's not that bad that we lost to them because they're a capable unit. Um, but as it stands right now, it's certainly one of those games, at least when you go back and look at halftime, that the Rams were in position to win. And they just got outplayed completely in the second half by a team that played their own strategy better than they did. I think that's the big takeaway. And so going into a road game uh, against Detroit, a team that does not play football like the Rams play, uh, I'm fascinated at how this is going to play out. And so I couldn't be more excited to have the guests that we got on tonight, man. Yep. And without much further ado, uh, why don't we go ahead and introduce that guest, and we'll keep the theme of week to week of introducing 
the battle for mediocrity, the battle for which team is going to show up and dominate versus which team is just going to roll over. Because I feel like that's been the past couple of podcasts. But nonetheless, from Pride of Detroit, we are pleased to be joined by Mr. Jerry Reisman. Jerry, Jeremy Reisman. Jeremy, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, and and I like that battle for mediocrity. That's that's usually a step up from Lionsdom, so I'm, I take that as a compliment. Hey, battle for mediocrity has been the war cry of Tershow Times' 2016 season. Uh, so uh, I, I want to jump right into it, and I'll just kind of ask you this. Uh, sitting where you're sitting, and, and we'll definitely cover this from our end, but... One of the keys that we wanted to talk about that I asked you about prior to the podcast is you said, what are Lions fans supposed to make out of the Rams? I think that's as good a place as any to start out. But before before we do, why don't we hear what your assessment is, and then let's build off of that for the remainder of the podcast. Well, I mean, it, it seems somewhat clear in that the Rams have no offense and their defense isn't quite what it was last year, but it seems to be getting better. Sorry, it seems somewhat clear that the Rams offense just somewhat. What more do we have to do to prove to you? I'm trying like, to butter you up a little bit. Okay, and, okay fair enough, fair enough. Continue, <laughs> continue, my bad. Uh, I guess the defense is really the big question right now with the team because they're not quite as dominant as they were last year, and they're obviously going through a lot of injuries right now, and the, the Tremaine injury is obviously probably the biggest worry of the team right now, but I'm just... I just don't understand how a team can lose 28 nothing to the Niners and then come out the next week and beat the Seahawks. That that still doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> Fisher ball strikes again. It's <laughs> unpredictability is its greatest weapon. You see, Josh, that's that's the value right there, my man. Yeah, that is indeed the value of Fisher ball if there's value to be had in the Fisher ball. Um you know, I kind of feel like there's there's a little bit of similarity between this Rams team and maybe the Lions team of a couple years ago that had a truly packed front seven. And and the theory at the time was this is a front seven that's going to dominate the league. The reality is they did. Um how much different do you see this front seven from from that front seven of your? That's a good question. I think I think there are definitely a lot of similarities with the Lions team of basically 2014. They didn't really have that great of a linebacking crew behind them. They did have DeAndre Levy fully healthy, but that season they actually also lost Stephen Tolick. That was a year that he blew out his knee celebrating a, a sack against the Packers. So thanks for the gifs. Thanks for the gifs. <laughs> yes. Oh man, you call it gifs. Well, it's Turf Show Radio. We do <laughs> things differently in the <laughs> NFC West. You and your Northern know, Hard I'm, Gs. I'm, 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 a, I'm a hard G guy. It's gif. You know, the, the if you wanted to call it a gif, perhaps he should have thrown in a J. You know, I'm gonna you don't have, get. I'm gonna have to do this podcast solo. Exist. You might have to. Uh, but, All right. Why don't why don't we give Jeremy a chance to answer this question? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, the Lions' defense was definitely anchored by that front four, and obviously it was mostly in Dominican Sue 
drawing all the attention there. And I think you guys have a guy over there that draws a lot of attention on the defensive line too. Am I am I correct there? He good. Yeah. He good. Aaron Donald good. Yeah. Here's what here's what I'm interested in, in Jeremy, and I, I want you to be sincere. Although I know this is clearly a point of sensitivity. What is the deal with y'all and Aaron Donald? There's there is a weird thirst I have not seen. Yeah. Between a team and a prospect that got away, I, I can't remember. The, I can't remember the last relationship like this. Every time I talk to a Lions fan, it, the first question they have is about Aaron Donald, and then the second question isn't even a question. It's just, man, I just well, we could have, and it's like, I know, I got, I got it, but guys, that was uh, you got to keep. That was a long time ago, man. There's a lot of fish in the sea. Yeah, well, we've been burned by draft picks on and on again, and I don't know what it is about Aaron Donald that has really stuck with them, but I I could honestly just sit here and listen to you talk about Aaron Donald for like 30 minutes straight, (laughs) like a a guy and a diet listening to someone describe their ice cream sundae or something, because (laughs) uh, we we got Eric Ebron instead of of Donald, and... Nobody really likes picking a tight end that high. It's not really a, a sexy pick, and not that defensive tackle is, but with with the chance of missing out in Dominican Sue, which we obviously did, and Nick Fairley left as well, a lot of people were looking at that pick, and a lot of people were, were choosing. Like, I think what it is is that Lions draft fans are never right, so when they got this one right and the Lions got it wrong – that's why they're holding on to it so much. <laughs> Josh, let, let me ask you this, um, and this is something I want to get Jeremy's take on, but I want to get yours from a Rams fan, first-year Rams fan first. What what have you seen in the first five games that you're excited about, and what are you worried about that you think the Rams could apply to the Lions? And then I want to hear from Jeremy how he thinks those are going to pan out. Truthfully, my biggest worry is kind of a cut. Uh, but I'm going to go with what, what, what Jeremy said. I think it's the injuries. Uh, you look okay. at how many how many injuries they have at skill positions, and you know, you and I have had conversation after conversation after conversation about the productivity that front seven is supposed to be giving Los Angeles, and with people riding the pine, and now their best secondary player gone now maybe that's blunted a bit by ej Gaines. we won't really know until he takes the field um i I just i feel like there are enough weapons in detroit that without really that presence now you've given if detroit really wanted to they could just bring in ebron the entire game and his sole job is to help you know block down on aaron donald to give stafford time to throw and if that's the case i'm not really sure where the rams are going to get that pressure and and you know we've seen what happened in week one when for some reason or another uh, it was a wacky bit of uh, circumstances. Maybe it was just the week one blues. Who who really knows with it? But we've seen what can happen to the Rams when Aaron Donald is persona non grata. And, and it, like, it's exactly like Jeremy said. I don't understand how a Rams team can beat the Niners 20 – or can lose to the Niners 28 to zip – and then go and beat the Seahawks. And it's just, you look at those injuries, you look at the fact that 
this is a, a road game, and you say, okay, we'll, we'll find Jeremy, out. Let me, let me, yeah. Let me, let me ask you like this, Jeremy. Whether or not the Rams have the injuries, obviously part of the key is going to be the defensive line. How do you feel about your guys' uh, offensive line? I, I know that Lakin Tomlinson is uh, – he got upgraded in the injury report to limited and uh, Larry BT Warford got e- down. Ebron is out, but my point remains. They could just – Sure, no, well, e- yeah. You could sure. bring in a tight end and down help. And I think part of the key is how much they need a tight end. So I just want to get a sense of what you think the uh, caliber of the offensive line is through five weeks for you guys. Yeah, it's it's in flux at this point. Um, last week we saw them introduce a six offensive lineman in some formations. Um, Corey Robinson played about 40% of the snaps, I believe. I think you're probably going to see a lot of that on Sunday because Ebron's out um, and the Lions – basically don't have another tight end on the roster. They brought in Clay Harbor last week and he played 30% of the snaps despite only being with the team for four days. Um, this, this offense, the Lions offense versus Rams defense is an interesting matchup because both units are ravished by injuries yet both teams kind of hold that as their strength. And then you got the other side of the ball where both teams are just God awful. So I think this has the makings of being a really, really bad game. Yeah, you know, it's just you look at who's out for Los Angeles, who's out for Detroit, and it's just like, I mean, look at the talent that's sitting on the sideline. Robert Quinn, Tremaine Johnson, William Hayes, Michael Brocker, Ashawn Robinson, you know, maybe Anquan Bolden, maybe Ezekiel Ansah, you know, Haloti Nada, you know, I mean – so much ridiculous talent and it's not available for either team. But here's what here's crazy to me. Here's one thing I here's one thing I'd note. There are other teams that can succeed in spite of injuries. And we're seeing that I mean, look, Tom Brady got suspended. Uh Jimmy Garoppolo got Garoppoloed. The Patriots are still the Patriots. Minnesota Vikings lost Teddy Bridgewater, Adrian Peterson, all hope and spirit. They get they started Sam F and Bradford, and they're five zero. There there are other teams that have the capability to. I and I don't I don't mean this in a disparaging way, Jeremy. I don't think the Lions or Rams are in that group, and I think that's part of what makes this interesting. Is uh, in Detroit, you know, when you guys are two and three and climbing to get to five hundred, and the Rams are scraping by to try to stay above it. This is one of those games where it seems like, and you know, obviously the Rams get a bye uh, two weeks past this. We play you guys, then we head to London to play the Giants, and then we're off for a week. You guys don't have a bye until mid-November. This is the kind of game that propels the team one way or the other. It feels like this. Is, if the Rams lose this, and think about this, Josh, coming off of the way that we lost the Bills game, if, if the Rams lose this, they go to London and everything's on the line because if they lose that, it feels like the season's a tank. Uh, for Detroit, if you guys win this, you're back to three and three. You get Washington at home. This is the kind of game, Jeremy, that could propel you guys into, you know, kind of what you haven't had for most of the season, the opportunity. And obviously three-game losing streak changes things, but th- this is a game that could get you guys on the right path and have everybody feeling right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the other side of the coin is that everything that the Lions salvaged last week by beating Philadelphia could be easily lost if they if they drop this to the Rams. Not that the Rams are necessarily a bad team or anything like that, but you go and you're you're they went into this three game homestand hoping to come out two and one. If they drop one to the Rams, I think they're probably expecting to come out one and two. And that pretty much ends the season, I think, in Lions fans mind. Probably not actually true, but. 
this this is definitely another turning point game. The Lions had to win last week to kind of hope to have any sort of hope left, and then I think they they have to follow this up with another win if they're if they're really going to take this season seriously. Let me ask you this, Josh, as a as a follow up, is is there something you're optimistic about, or something that you're feeling confident about with the Rams that you're looking forward to this weekend? Special teams. <laughs> okay. Sure. Now, um, listen, man, I, I truthfully think that Case Keenum has showed a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And we've talked about the Rams having setbacks before and then bouncing back and, and, and sort of showing a, what do you call that there, short-term memory for those types of mistakes. And... I think you maybe look at what happened last week if you're Case Keenum and you say, okay, I know I'm better than this. I've proven throughout the season that I can play better than this. I need to be playing better than this. And if the Rams can get that out of him, which he's shown this year he is motivated to do, then I think there's reason to be optimistic because on the offensive side of the ball, the Rams still do have weapons. And it's kind of surprising to me that even though the numbers aren't necessarily awe-inspiring, I would I would say Kenny Britt's having a pretty damn good season when, when it was Tavon Austin there that was supposed to be hauling in 100 receptions. Jeremy, let me let me ask you this. What is, what is the, and I know it's not good. We talk about the Rams' offense and how inept it is, and you know the fact that Kenny Britt is balling out is a good indication that things are things are wrong. However, we want to define that, but Fisher ball changes the scope of things. What what is, how would you define the Detroit Lions' defense? And I, I know it's not great. I know you guys have issues, but what do you think are the things that you guys are doing right that you can build on on the defensive side? Oof, that is a tough question because the answer really is nothing. But I think the defensive line took a small step forward last week against the Eagles. There's a chance to get Ezekiel Anza back this week. I'm not too sure that it's going to happen, but if they do, that's obviously a huge gain. But this is a team that's, I think, given up the 31st worst quarterback rating. Every single opponent so far is topped 100 on their passer rating. I think they're giving up five or so a carry on the ground. This is a matchup that, you know, if Rams fans are looking for a game to turn things around offensively, this is it because there's really nothing that the Lions are doing well defensively right now. Hey, the Lions and the Rams have something in common. (laughs) Uh, What were you going to say something, Joe? No, I'm just – I think the biggest kind of rub here is between the Lions' run defense and Todd Gurley, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, you've got a unit that just isn't playing well, period. Um, and when you have – and we, we've seen this, guys, with football teams. When, when you get into a season and you've got a unit that isn't talented enough and isn't performing, you've got to overcommit resources, right? And I clearly expect the Lions to do that this week, not only because the Rams have a talented running back in Todd Gurley. The problem is 
And Josh, we know this. We've seen teams overcommit resources to the run that have done a fine job at stopping Todd Gurley. And so the blueprint is pretty obvious. The, the Lions have to overcommit to the run because they have to overcommit to the run. And the Rams have to find a way to win in spite of that in the running game. And I think that's the real schism here is who wins that battle. And for five weeks, more or less, we've seen the Rams lose in the running game. They've gotten some points out of it, and they've gotten a couple first downs. But by and large, Todd Gurley has not given us the kind of 2016 most fans uh, expected out of Todd Gurley. And I think more than anything, what's going to define the narrative of this game is whether or not Todd Gurley can uh, get his first Todd Gurley game of the season. And, and on the other side of the ball, how committed the Detroit Lions are to preventing that. First off, Joe, I just want to say, I don't, I can't speak for you, but I don't have a problem with an underperforming unit. Okay, so... <laughs> um, Girly but, joke! Boo! But what I but I would say is is you know that what Jeremy said is what is so fascinating to me about this game because if you're the Rams offense you're looking for exactly the kind of opportunity that this game provides yeah I mean Todd Gurley especially if you, if you ever needed a a, a slump buster. You know, a confidence booster like this. This would be it if you can. If Todd Gurley can start averaging five yards a carry, uh, that'll do wonders for his confidence, and then maybe everything else falls back into place, and and he becomes a more symmetrical runner, a more balanced guy. And if that happens, then, you know, the sky is the limit for this Rams offense. Literally just the sky, as far as they can throw the football. Um, and I, well, I, I think that's the problem, though, is if it doesn't, right, then right. Yeah, you, what you're dealing with is, if you and I don't mean this in a bad way, Jeremy, if you can't run the ball against Detroit, who, who, you gonna, who are the Rams going to run the ball against? And, and if Detroit's able to stop Todd Gurley, they come out of this game and say, look, we, we can stop these guys, and we, we can do enough to stop the run and handle the pass. I think that's the big risk for the Rams' offense is you, you've, got a, you've got a really bad offense and a pretty bad defense. Who, who, it's kind of a who loses it less type situation and not necessarily who wins it. But, Jeremy, I'm, I'm interested to see from your guys' side how you guys come out of this on the defensive side if you guys can take on a pretty inept offense, albeit with a talented running back. Yeah, and I, I have the exact same questions on the opposite side because the Lions haven't stopped one offense this year. And if there isn't an offense to stop, it's this one. Like, this is their chance to finally show a good defensive performance. And if they can't do it against the Rams, I'm not sure they can do it against anybody. This is such a bad promo, Josh. <laughs> one team must lose. One team must lose somewhat less. Rams, Lions. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. This is, me, this is sort of like Little Tortilla Boy for Paco Francisco. You know, he had one chance. Um, I, I If you were a wagering man, I guess I would ask, how do you see this unfolding, Jeremy? I mean, do you see... Neither one of us know what to expect. So we're spitting in the wind here. I think all of us have a notion of maybe what we feel internally is going to happen in this game. 
But if we're being honest and putting our cards on the table, all three of us should reasonably agree we have no effing clue what's going to happen because both of these teams have proven time and time and time again that we they cannot be depended on for a clue. Um, so how do you see this? Before we get into some listener questions, how do you see this thing unfolding? I think it's going to be a really ugly game. I think it's going to be really low scoring. I think we're going to see a lot of mistakes by both teams. And I'm, I guess I'm leaning Lions right at this point, but it, it feels like I was it's going just... to say, hold on, wait, that's the blueprint for a Rams win, man. Oh. <laughs> we playing ugly football with mistakes. Shit. You in our warehouse. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, like I said, I think this is just coming from a Homer place because I, I have no idea. I, I think this Lions offense can pretty much put up points against anybody if they're able to put up 21 in the first half against the Eagles. But then again, they also put three up in the second half against the Eagles, so I don't know that much. And defensively, I you know I'm really afraid Gurley's going to run all over this team. I know it hasn't happened yet this year, but uh, I don't know. This, don't this, say he's due because I hate that. No, term. no, like, that's, that's a statistical <laughs> fallacy. It doesn't exist. There's no such thing as somebody being due. In sports, it's the worst term ever. Um, I have little to no faith in Gurley simply because he hasn't shown it. He hasn't shown those progressions for me, Joe. Um, well, before before I get into mine, I just I want to ask you: Do you feel any confidence building in Todd Gurley's run game, or are you sitting with me in the I need to see something, man, because right now I'm thinking when Betty Cunningham comes back, that's your boy. But and I think this is one of the fascinating things is that I threw out the hashtag. It's not Todd Gurley's fault early on. And everybody was buying that through week three weeks. And then into week four, you start to saw that erode. And now after week five, like you said, you got people talking about when Benny Cunningham. Hold on. Well, how did. Todd Gurley, we took the number 10 overall pick in the draft. He was supposed to be a once-in-a-generation back. This is, this is the guy that the Rams were trying to build their offense around before they traded for Jared Goff. He was the answer. And I, I find it fascinating that because he's not going, instead of the Rams dedicating a way to get him going, what, what, what we're doing instead is let's figure out the rest of the offense in spite of Todd Gurley. And, and, and I throw this out, Josh and Jeremy, because I know you guys have not – dedicated as much time did you guys spend a lot of time watching the rams the last five years i hope not because it's less than that it's less than that for me (laughs) honestly yeah i i i kind of did because they play in the (laughs) nfc they played the nfc west and that's all we got out here no doubt but i pray for other humans they have not spent as much time watching the rams over the last two decades as i have here's what here's what i'd say is that the, the Rams, the, the offense isn't coming. This is a team that drafted five running backs under Jeff Fisher. They drafted Isaiah Pete in the second round. They drafted Zach Stacy. They drafted Trey Mason in the third round. None of those guys are with the team anymore. The whole reason they drafted Dot Gurley is because the running back position was so important that they had to throw everything in it. Can I, can I tell you why I'm not behind the idea of trying to get Todd Gurley going? Because now all of a sudden you're not talking about week two, week three. You're starting to talk about, you know, 
a couple more weeks and you've hit the midway point in the season, how much longer do you want to try and get Todd Gurley going before you just kind of admit that that he's he's got whiskey legs for the season? That's my new term. Um, and, and maybe somebody else would be better served being an impetus for forward momentum. Because at the end of the day, and, and you've said this a number of times, Joe, so I'm going to use your own words against you here. This isn't about one individual. This isn't about getting Todd Gurley his numbers. This is about getting wins. And if Cunningham gives the Rams a better chance to get those wins because he can pick up a first down every, you know, third or fourth run, then once you start getting into the back half of the season, those hard-to-come-by yards are that much more valuable. And somebody has to get them. So here's here's what I'd throw out. That, that was all very logical, Josh. The problem is we're talking about the Rams, and the Rams hate logic. I know. I knew you were going to go there, too. I knew you were going to go there. But you know what, though? Hey, hey, Jeremy can can tune into this or jump in on this because, I mean, in my lifetime, I've never seen one organization in the career of the two greatest positional players I've ever seen. Oh, man. Almost made it through. Almost. 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 It wasn't going to happen, though. But – but in truth, I say that because I think that there is something to be said for organizations sticking. These two organizations seem to almost embarrassingly so at times stick with what they think is the plan, even if it's not working. Even if it's not going the way that that, that, that it should go. They're like, no, if we just wait it out, it's going to happen. But the problem is it hasn't. So, excuse me, from from a Detroit point of view, I ask you, Jeremy, what, like when, when you see the Detroit organization, do you feel confident moving forward? Or have you had similar questions about guys departing in the offseason, not being re-signed, you know? Joe always likes to 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 mock, you know, uh, what was it? Project A, one A and one B, was it that, that priority priority one A, priority one A, priority one A and one B that just walked right the hell out the door to Philadelphia, uh, <clears throat> and New York, excuse me. Um, so, I, where do you come down on all this? I mean, surely you have to have similar feelings. Sure. I mean, there is kind of the feeling in Detroit that what will go wrong does go wrong all the time. I I am kind of, I mean, I wouldn't be a Lions fan still if there wasn't kind of an eternal flame burning inside me that, that thinks something eventually is going to go right. And I want to believe the Lions changed general managers this offseason. And I'm always nervous because they picked the guy from the Patriots tree and we know how that's worked out in the past, but... Something about Bob Quinn, which is the guy's name, has got me feeling okay. Not really for this year. I think I think the lines are probably going to be a six and ten, seven and nine. On team a scare of like Mike Milbury to Matt Millen, like where does he fall on the? He's got me feeling okay. 
Well, probably as far away from Matt Millen as possible. I don't even like saying that guy's name. I'm, I hope you guys bleep it when, when you edit it because you I don't want to hear it again. He's an insanely good college football analyst. I, I, I can't for good reasons yeah, I, I, admit I, I, that. I, I'm so, sorry. I, 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 dude, I understand. <laughs> I understand. I will not ask you Shut- to say a kind word. About Shout out him. to best college football analyst of the industry in 2024, Jeff Fisher. Um, <laughs> Jeremy, let, Jeremy, let, let me ask you two questions. Number, well, not let me make one statement and then ask you a question, and then I'll let Josh wrap up uh, so we can let you go. Number one, we got way too deep into this interview without you mentioning the name Jim Bob Cooter. Uh, yes. I subtract oh five I'm points so from sorry. your soul. I, I'm I'm disappointed in you. I'm just going <laughs> to say that. I'm going to leave that out there. Um, last question: Where do you live, Jeremy? Uh, I live in Los Angeles slash Van Nuys for those familiar with the situation. Uh, California. I'm familiar. Yeah. I was born there. It's a great city. It's a great town. I have a lot of family there. I love it. Uh, question. What do you, what do you get a sense living in Los Angeles? And I, I, I know, uh, it, you know, stories, like things like this are anecdotal, but I'd love to hear your sense in the community where you live, where you work, uh, the people that you, uh, deal with on a day to day basis. What is your sense of how the Rams are permeating that market and, and people's day-to-day lives? It's it's there, but it's not – I wouldn't even use the word permeating yet. I, I'm i very cynical about – Like our, like our offense. Yes. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm very cynical about uh, Los Angeles sports fans. I don't think they're very honest. I don't think they're very devoted. And I'm yep. not one to play the, you know, what's a true fan card. I, I think you can enjoy sure. sports however the hell you want to, but – I don't. I don't like Los Angeles sports fans. I was here when the Kings won the the Stanley Cup, and no one was there celebrating. I had trouble finding the game in sports bars, mm-hmm. and that's kind of how I feel where things are with the Rams right now. There's a little bit of hope. There's a little bit of excitement, but it really sours me. Like <laughs> remember, it sours remember, me. The remember team. when Pete Carroll was winning national titles, and how uh, you actually a better a better and more recent. Uh, anecdote might be you remember that 2012 season coming off the back of the 11 and 2 season by the Trojans when they were like number one uh, headed into the season how much hype they were and as soon as they started losing like you could basically pick your own spot in the Coliseum and like sit down yep exactly and and it, the, I think the biggest reason that I'm soured to Los Angeles and specifically the Rams is because I have a bunch of friends from Michigan. I'm also originally from Michigan. Otherwise, why would I be a Lions fan? Um, and a couple of them have jumped ship, and I'm really disappointed in them. And I, I take it out against the Rams. You guys stole some of our and fans, I, and I'm really mad about it. So they've jumped ship to the Rams. Yeah, yeah, because Jeremy, they've had enough with Lions fandom. Oh, well, the, well, then I don't know how long they're going to be Rams fans. <laughs> exactly. We may, need, we, we may need a weekly call. Wait, how, for you. how much research did they do before they <laughs> jumped ship? They, they saw Mike <laughs> Martz's name, and then they're like, okay, I'm I'm on board. Hey, if it makes you say, yeah. any better, my co-host on my Manchester City podcast is Mr. Gray Papke. <laughs> Space Monkey <laughs> Mafia, I'm sure you're familiar with him in the Detroit sports internet world. Yep. I was gonna say, Jeremy, you talk about Lions fans as if they—you guys have had two winning seasons, two playoff seasons in the last six years, 
We haven't had a winning season since 2003, man. Did well, you? yeah, but you keep pushing back, keep pushing back. Lions, no, I, Lions no have had one, one playoff win since the Super Bowl was created. Hey, no doubt. Yeah, and hey, I know hey, hey you know what, dude? He's going to win this one because no matter how far you go, he can be like 0-16, dude. And there's <laughs> nothing you can say that's going to top that. I hear they went Owen. Oh, oh here's what here would be my rebuttal. Owen oh, sixteen is one season. That was two thousand eight. The Rams from two thousand seven to two thousand eleven had the worst five year stretch in NFL history. One year you can get over. You can get over a quick breakup. You can get. You can date a girl and get over her if you dated her for a year real quick. If you went out with a girl for five years, that's a lot of time you spent with that girl. You know everything about her. To move on from that and realize she's the worst girl on planet Earth, that hurts. I mean, whatever your record was during that five-minute, five-year span, it couldn't have been one or two wins worse than the Lions. More than that, because the Lions went five and eleven, three and thirteen, seven and nine, zero and sixteen, two and fourteen. Yeah, yes. see, this, this is where this is where we need to maybe have a weekly podcast between <laughs> us, uh, the Lions, the Jags, whoever. I feel like whoever. this whole podcast so far has just been arguing which team is worse. You yeah. know what, though? It's okay, because it's slightly <laughs> amusing. Like, I that's mean... A, that's a Rams-Lions podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Let's... Uh, Jeremy, do you have time for a couple listener questions? Would you want to jump in on, sure. on a couple of these before we let you go? Yeah, no problem. Um, and I'll ask you these from from a Rams perspective, because I... Joe is Joe and I have always been curious about this. We we can ask ourselves and debate amongst our, ourselves, and certainly Rams fans have. But when you talk about the Rams and uh, uh, our poll, are, are the Rams a QB away? Thirty one percent said yes. Thirty eight percent said no. Thirty-one percent said it doesn't matter. There's Rams fans for you. <laughs> Jeff Fisher's track record with QBs has been poor, as Joe pointed out in his piece. It is Fisher's offense, and many of the replies to that is that most people said no, but the Rams are a head coach away. Where do you come down on Fish and Joe? Is there anything that you want to quickly add about your piece that might add context for Jeremy? Uh, no, I just looked, I looked at Jeff Fisher's tenure. Uh, I mean, here's what I'd say. P- people talk about Jeff Fisher sometimes as if he's, you know, in the middle of a career or that, you know, we, we still haven't figured things out. Jeff Fisher is the second most experienced head coach in the NFL behind Bill Belichick, somebody whose legacy is quite clearly, uh, you know, established. He's going down as one of the best coaches of all time. If not, you know, there's going to be an argument as to whether he's the best NFL head coach of all time. People are still acting as if we need more information to decide what we think about Jeff Fisher. I think I think it's ridiculous. There, there's still people arguing that he's a quote-unquote good coach, whatever good means. This is somebody whose who's winning record is well under 600%. His time with the Rams is less than 450. And, and what I was trying to point out, Jeremy, I don't know if you saw the piece on Tertial Times. I don't know why you would unless you're coming to look up new news on the Rams quarterback front. Uh, we've seen a lot of chatter pick up about the idea that Jared Goff might start getting uh, some looks and uh, some pressure 
on Fisher to play him, especially because we get, like I said, we got you guys, then Giants in London, and then the bye week. And if Case Keenum continues to uh, underwhelm, uh, there's a good chance, uh, supposedly, that Jared Goff might have a good chance to start coming out of the bye. And I just uh, wanted to point out that Jeff Fisher's track record suggests it doesn't matter if Jared Goff starts. He's not going to save this offense. It's still going to be the Rams Fisher Bowl offense. Uh, regardless of who plays. So I guess the question to you is, as an outsider, what, what what is your sense of Jeff Fisher, somebody who's been in the league for so long? What do Lions fans think from a distance? I think I think Lions fans from a distance would recognize a name and want it immediately just because it's a name. But personally speaking, I don't I like during Hard Knocks, he seems like a good guy. He seems like the right temperament for a coach. Yeah. But obviously, there's a lot more that goes into it than temperament. You can have sure. a guy that screams at someone on the sidelines and then be successful. And you can have a guy like Tony Dungy who's, you know, calm and, you know, has some sort of mantra with his team where everyone's calm and collected. But with Fisher, I, I, I just – I he's perpetually 7-9. and nine. Like, I'd, I'd hate to say that, you know – <laughs> that mantra that has been permeated his whole career. Oh, seven to nine bullshit. Yeah, I mean, no, go ahead, go bullshit. ahead, go <laughs> ahead. That's our hashtag for the year. You're allowed to say it. <laughs> it it's just it, he seems like a guy who's good enough to get this team competitive, but never beyond that. Yeah, I just think I, here's what I find wild is that, uh, like I like I said, second most tenured guy in the in the allure of the experience, like you said, Jeremy, is still enough for some fans to say that in and of itself is attractive. You know, despite the fact that you know, twenty two seasons in, he's got six winning seasons. Nobody nobody would accept that. If I told you that was going to be what you got, like, like I said, look at look at what you guys got in, in Detroit the last couple of years. It, it's been one winning season. Out of the last three, and that's not even what the Rams have got out of Jeff Fisher, but that's really his track record. That's what you guys got of Jim Caldwell so far. Now, uh, obviously, 2016 still remaining, but that's got what you got out of Schwartz too. Was you know one win in or you know one playoff uh, representation in five years. That's what Jeff Fisher is angling for at the Rams, and, and I, I just find it weird. And I, John, you guys, I've done so many radio hits where people point to that and they say, you know. I thought Jeff Fisher was a good coach. He's a respected coach. People seem to talk well about him. It's not a personal thing. It seems like every account of Jeff Fisher behind the scenes is that he's a great guy. His players love him. He does the right things week in, week out, except win football games. Yeah. that's. I, I guess that's exactly how I see it, too, because, it, like I said, just on the surface, it looks like he's a guy who should be really, really successful and – there is something to say about consistency of being right around 500, but you know, after a while, you, you have you <laughs> wait, have to. Wait, hold on, wait. What is the thing that you say about the consistency of that? At least well, you're not losing. Actually, you know, <laughs> the, thing to, the thing to say about it is that you're screwing yourself out of perfectly good draft picks. <laughs> sure, that too. But All I mean, right, uh, let me ask you a couple more here before we let you get out of here, and 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 again, we'll we'll make them. Fairly simple. Uh, Matt L. wants to know, what do you think are some key factors uh, to this week's game? I think on the Lions side, it's going to be the interior of that defensive line. So Haloti Nada is almost certainly out this week, which means we're going to see 
probably a lot of Ashawn Robinson, who's only been getting somewhere around 30% of snaps so far. He's going to see a big hike in playing time this week, and and I really am kind of encouraged and, and intrigued to see what he has in store uh, because stopping Todd Gurley is obviously priority number one with this defense. Uh, let me ask you something. Have you guys uh, cut open his leg and checked the tree rings in there? <laughs> I haven't, but, I, you know. Here's, I was at the Combine for SB Nation. I saw him from six feet away. That's a 53-year-old man. Yeah. That's all that's all I'm gonna say. That is not a uh that's not a kid. That's not a dude that's under twenty five. Uh he's been on this earth at least sixty eight years. My uh, first comment sure. would have been like, so what was Dick Van Dyke like? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> there's this there's this baby picture of him and he has thighs no, the not. size of no, tree trunks. <laughs> well, I, yeah, baby as in he came out of the womb as a ten year old. What do we got, Josh? Sorry, I had stepped away to grab myself a soda. I thought you guys were going to... I was worried that Sean Robinson had found you and <laughs> no, taken you to the... No, I apologize. Scott, Scott will edit that out. Uh, but, uh, all right, so the last question I'm going to ask you here before we let you go. Hillary wants to know, do you have... Wait, who does? Hold on, Hillary. wait, wait, wait. Who's not not that Hillary. Oh, Hillary God. with one L. Oh, God. Hillary Jeremy, run. She's on to you. Uh, any bold <laughs> predictions for the game? <laughs> um, that's a good one. I'll say there are zero touchdowns scored in this game. Nice. Ooh, I like that. I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> that was the main reason I like it is because, and I know Jeremy's thinking, "Oh, that's our kind of game. Oh, that's a Rams, that's a Rams game right there." That's no, that, that is not a Lions game with this team. <laughs> if their offense is okay. not putting up any touchdowns, it's trouble. Oh man, if if nobody's putting any touchdowns, that's kind. Of, I I don't want to guarantee anything, but I feel <laughs> I'm getting a little sweaty. <laughs> that's, hey. That's yeah, celebration. You're Monday. seeing you're seeing four and two on the horizon. You know, hey, when there's no touchdown, when there's no touchdowns, that's as good as it gets. Here's here's what I'd say for bold predictions, and a shout out to Misonati Sore on Churchill Time staff who hits his bold predictions every week. I don't want to take too much thunder away. If, if I was going to take a bold prediction, and I know this is this is too bold, I'm gonna say Todd Gurley has his worst week as a pro. Whoa! And here here's why. Is because Robinson. Detroit, no, a, well, not, not just Sean Robinson. The he Lions know they can't, they can't afford to give that up. And, and, and I, I just think they're going to throw everything they have at balling up Todd Gurley. And I think when you throw everything you got, it's hard not to do it. And now, here's the key, is what are the Rams going to do in response? And the fact, it's not about necessarily the Rams, Todd Gurley, or the Lions. Is that I don't trust the Rams to do anything in response. And maybe that's my cynicism or whatever. But uh, what, what's your bull prediction? Hit us with a bull prediction, Josh. What do you got? Uh, actually, I'm, I'm going to toe along the same lines, but I'm going to say I think Ashawn Robinson knocks Todd Gurley out of the game. Oh, no. That's hey, hey, man, Ashawn Robinson's got that Alabama thing going on for him. He knows Todd Gurley. He knows him. And uh, I think he's going to have something for him. And – the only reason I'm saying, look, man, that Detroit Lions front, you, in order to play for Detroit in theory on that front line, you got to be nasty. You look at Ziggy Ansah, that dude is nasty. 
And that's a grown and, man. Goes yeah, that's Ziggy. a grown ass man, dude. If you can, if you can get away with being called Ziggy as a dude, you're either an incredibly talented musician, a crappy comic, or a badass defensive lineman for the Detroit Lions. Shout uh, out to Ziggy Hood. But uh, I, man, I, I think like like Jeremy said, um, there's a need for somebody to step up. And Ashawn Robinson is Alabama defensive line players have been hit and miss, but I, I'm convinced that guy has the goods to succeed in the NFL. On top of that, uh, through everybody that I know uh, that has ever talked to him, he is a humble, uh, extraordinarily uh, down-to-earth young man who works his ass off. Uh, for his teammates and his coaches. And I think given the opportunity and knowing that a former Georgia guy and Todd Gurley is struggling, I think Ashawn Robinson's going to look to put the nail in the coffin that has been Todd Gurley's bad season. Not saying he injures him. I'm uh, just saying I, I think he takes bad. him out of the game. I don't feel like a happy person anymore. Thanks Sorry, a man. I had to crap on your day. Well, if there's one shining light, I, I'd throw this at Jeremy. If you want to pass it on to Jim Bob Cooter or anybody one else. Shining that, hey, anybody wants to talk to Ashawn. If Ashawn Robinson doesn't name his first three sons B. Sean, C. Sean, and D. Sean, I'm going to be incredibly depressed. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> what about D. Sean? Is that okay? You, Sean. A Sean. I would say there's a lot of creativity to be had there. I'm not an artist. I'm just X Sean. I like X Sean. It can sort of be X Sean's. Here's what I'd say: you can be B Sean, C Sean, D Sean, and be a failure at football. If your name is X Sean, you better be the best damn wide receiver anybody's ever seen. You can be X Sean. It's the kind of Josh or an amazing pro wrestler. Create a player X Sean. Hey, man, hey, if people start creating X-Shawns out there, we'll know where it started from. Hashtag x <laughs> this, this podcast has totally devolved. Uh, Jeremy, what we'd like to do with all our guests is give them an opportunity not just to plug their social media site, where people can find them, how they can further the conversation, but I also want to take this time to, to allow you to talk about anything that you have posted up on Pride of Detroit, or if you've got one of your guys who's done an exceptionally good piece that you want to draw attention to, the floor is yours, my man. Have at it. All right. Well, let's get the social media stuff out of the way. Um, obviously, at Pride of Detroit on Twitter. Just search Pride of Detroit if you want to do other stuff like Facebook, whatever. Um, personal account, Detroit on Lion. Um, in terms of pieces, um, I do a pretty extensive preview that'll be up on friday at 9 a.m east coast time um check that out it's very statistics based if you're into that sort of thing there's a bunch of charts and colors and pretty pictures so <laughs> if you don't like reading you can still like it my i'm um, a pie graph guy do i get any pie graphs yeah they're just charts unfortunately oh. but they're color coded so okay mm -hmm. i'll okay um, and then we also, I also interviewed Eric Ebron this week. Uh, we have that up kind of posted at the top of our page this week. It's, uh, it's an interesting read. He's, he's injured. So I, we talk about a little bit about his injuries. Um, we talk about 
his why he pisses off Matthew Stafford in his own words, and we talk about his love of Call of Duty. So I was going to say, don't tell that? Josh. He loves he loves video games. This is a video game marriage waiting to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's he, true. He even uh, gives out his gamer his gamer tag, so you can, you can play against him. Apparently, the fiance ordered me a Legend of Zelda uh, a map of Hyrule tie and a leg hat and a Link sword to go with her Zelda dress. So I guess I'm dressing as Link for my wedding. There's that. Good Lord. Yeah, there, will be, there will be photos. There will be photos. So <laughs> what, what if, Eric, if, if Eric Ebron ever needs to get handled on FIFA, you let him know where he can find me. He'd probably whoop my ass on Call of Duty, but I'll take him out behind a woodshed on FIFA. <laughs> zip him up. Zip him up. Zip him up. up, legend. That's right. I saw. Hey, by the way, great photo selection on that piece. Uh, <laughs> right? Very impressed. Uh, but uh, m- more impressed when I checked out earlier when I when I saw you posted the Q and A. Favorite head, uh, and obviously I'm I'm beating a drum here. Uh, favorite headline on the page: Jim Bomb Cooter and the Bumpy Road. I think I read a book when I was about eight years old, growing up in Texas. Jim Bob Cooter and the Bumpy Road by Kent Lee Platt. That's uh, <laughs> good lord. That was uh, <laughs> that was too perfect. But uh, good stuff, man. Thanks for coming on and hanging out with us, bro. Oh, anytime, guys. Anytime. It kind of makes me wish we we played in the same division, Jeremy, because uh, you. I feel like we could just do this on a weekly basis. Absolutely, you know? just kind of you know have a drink, talk about the bad times and the worst. Hitting the worst times, and, and, and from there we'll we'll have even more drinks, and sooner or later someone will start crying. Uh, good, good times, good times. <laughs> Jeremy X. Sean Reisman, everybody, thanks for coming on, Jeremy. Thank you. <laughs> so, Joseph, how were you feeling after that conversation? Oh, Jeremy's a good guy, man. Get it. Here's the thing: when 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 you get across the aisle at SB Nation, you know you're getting talented, well, capable, interesting, fun people to talk to. Hey, here's the thing: the Rams and the Lions are, in, like I mentioned, the Lions have had a modicum more success than the Rams have had, you know, two playoff uh, appearances in the last couple of years, seven years, whatever. Uh, um. It's just not a, it's a franchise that struggled the same way the Rams have struggled since uh, the end of the greatest show on turf for us. And pretty much always, I mean, like, you know, he would make the case that uh, for a franchise long struggle, they've uh, got the edge. And I won't, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing that you could probably go a whole podcast on. Um, here's what I'd say. They clearly sense the turn of the millennium. Uh, you go back to Marty Morningweg when they brought him on. Uh, you know, the Lions haven't had a great run, and they had a long time struggling to get uh, to any place of success, and obviously Matt Stafford has been one of the keys and the bedrocks of what's at least allowed them to run a capable offense, and part of the reason why they've had two winning seasons out of the last five years. You know, the the Rams are quickly approaching this point where the talent, and I've said this for a couple of years, and I think maybe, hopefully, uh, you and other new Rams fans are getting a sense of this, the 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 personnel's not the problem. There there's there's ways you could get to the playoffs. I like how you keep team. converting me into a Rams fan and and, and, and saying I'm I'm becoming a Rams fan. 
You, damn it, Josh. Yeah, I know. I'm right. Whether you want to or not. <laughs> Look, this is what it is. Man. In truth, in truth, I only know how to do my job one way. And the only way I know how to do my job is to totally immerse myself in the organization that I'm covering. So by hell or high water, I end up becoming a de facto, quote unquote, fan of the team that I'm covering simply because you develop personal relationships with guys like JB Long. Um, you, 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 you talk to these players, you talk to the peoples uh, within the organization. And as you start to get to know these people on a deeper and deeper level, it becomes impossible not to develop relationships that then lead to positive feelings that people could easily consider fandom. And if, if that's what being a fan is, then most definitely, because I'm going to come on this show twice a week, every week, and I'm going to give you guys a thousand percent because I love talking about the Rams with you. I especially love the fact that they're struggling and, and there are things to talk about. I find that when things are going really well, it's the same conversation over and over again. Nobody ever I don't says, know that conversation. I don't know that yeah. conversation. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but, you know, man, this, this, this hasn't just been a, a great opportunity for me in my life. It's, it's been a chance for a second start. And that's somewhat similar to what the Rams are getting here in Los Angeles, man. Okay. And, uh, you know, I kind of I kind of see a little bit of myself in that. And, and you, I can draw parallels to my personal life and, and the trials and struggles that I'm going through. And you sort of look at what's going on on the football field with the Rams and, and, and the struggles that they deal with. And it's just sort of like it's a rocky phase for the both of us. But I'm able to sort of answer my own life's questions as I delve deeper into what ails the Rams, if that makes sense. It does. Here, here's the thing is that, you know, the mysteries of life, uh, and this is getting deep. This is getting profound for a tertiary radio podcast. That the, the mysteries of life are uh, never-ending. And I think part of the personal journey is to find out the answers for ourselves. The mysteries for the Rams always get answered. There's only 16 games, which means there's always an answer, whether it's the answer we like or not. And I think that's maybe, you know, as as we move ahead, um, you know, to like, like we were mentioning with Jeremy, two games before the bye. And I don't know how much you want to get through uh, uh, before we close out this podcast. Two weeks before the bye, two games. Uh, you know, Detroit on the road, New York Giants in London, nothing at home. And then you come back, Carolina, and then three out of the next four on the road. They're, they're, things are stacked up, man, in, in a tough, tough way. It's a, it's a challenge. And I mean that word in the literal sense. If the Rams can get through it, look, they started 3-1, and one, man. And they faced a challenge with a plum. And, and they faced it successfully. They've got another one in front of them. And if they can do the same, that's the kind of trial by fire that uh, 
you know, guilds teams and prepares them for uh, the challenges ahead. The problem is what we've seen under Jeff Fisher and well before his time with the Rams is that there's just not a culture and there's not the what it, whatever it requires, whether it requires leadership in the locker room or chemistry or uh, know-how or experience. You know, you did talk about uh, teams that know how to win. This isn't a team that knows how to win. They, they just don't have that. And the youngest team in the league uh, that's consistently reinventing itself year after year that hasn't had it, they, they've never been there. And so I, I don't know what's going to flip the switch, and I don't know if this is the year. But if it is, it's going to come in a way that's hard to predict and hard to see from where we sit now going into week six. But I think what's interesting is that uh, the opportunities there um, – and, uh, you know, I don't know how you feel. It's it's hard to get a sense, you know, talking to Jeremy, who lives, you know, in the Valley and uh, all my family members in Los Angeles that I talk to every week, many of them who could care less about NFL football. And, you know, a uh, cousin of mine who uh, grew up uh, in Northeast that uh, loved the Rams, but kind of faded in his fandom and faded in paying attention to the Rams and has picked it back up now that they've returned and is constantly asking me, what is the deal? And he's more apoplectic than I am. I'm just, you know, we're in an interesting place as Rams fans, interesting place going into week six. I'm glad we had Jeremy on because clearly before last week, they were as apoplectic as we are. And, uh, you know, the, the, the way forward, I think is going to be interesting, maybe less so for the Rams and more so for this new foundation of fans that we've got, uh, out of Los Angeles and Southern California that are trying to adopt, uh, the Rams as a franchise Rams football as a culture, but more so the psychology of what it means to be a Rams. Yeah. And that's kind of some of what I was getting into is that once you enter into that sports psychology, it opens up a whole different, uh, well, Pandora's box, I guess. Sure. Of of, of things that 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 you could those potentially are, those are called emotions. Your own life. Yeah, those yeah. are called emotions, man. <laughs> damn, damn them. Um. Well, we got a couple last listener questions here. Let's do it. But before we get to questions, I just wanted to. Uh, recap, you know, it's week six, 2016, and kind of take stock of where we are in the season, because uh, Rams drafted Jared Goff, number one overall in this draft, and not just drafted him, they traded up to get him, uh, traded up capital in this draft, traded up future capital, and that puts the weight of the world on his shoulders, and so part of what I was trying to unpack in the article today is uh, the, 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 the irony of the fact that it doesn't matter as long as Jeff Fisher is the head coach, it doesn't matter what kind of quarterback Jared Goff is. You, you could put Aaron Rodgers in this offense and it's not going to matter. The, the position is inherently devalued in his system. And I, I think there's a strange, uh, uh, you know, misallocation of capital to draft Jared Goff and put him uh, at the helm of this offense when when it doesn't matter how talented he is. Now, that being said, part of the reason I supported it was because uh, Jeff Fisher tried everything else. This is year five. You don't get year five coaches that have failed to produce a winning record and have had the benefit of a, a trade like what the Rams had with RG3 uh, to give them the, the, the capability to try everything else. 
So he's in this unique position where every other excuse he's had is something he's been able to deal with. He's had the opportunity to draft multiple running backs. He's had the opportunity to draft a whole new offensive line. He's had the opportunity to fill the wide receiver complement the way he sees fit and restock the entire defense similarly. Defensive line with five first-rounders going back to 2015, uh, week one defense. Uh, linebackers, the complement of what he brought over in Akeem Ayers and free agency to complement Alec Ogletree and James Laurinaitis last year. Obviously, cornerbacks where he drafted heavily in safeties, where you had a you know the growth of Ronnie McLeod matching across from T.J. McDonald. The, uh, Jeff Fisher has had the opportunity to build everything else that he wanted. The only thing that he hadn't really dealt with was quarterback, and so I understand the argument for doing so because it's the last thing that was left. The problem is the the results haven't matched it, and the results didn't match it without the quarterback, which we've seen other teams do. The only reason I bring this up and the kind of the reason I, I had to respond to this uh, growing momentum behind the idea of uh, Jared Goff coming in after the bye uh, was that th- this is year five for Jeff Fisher, but it's year one in Los Angeles, and I think it's important to track this. This is why I talk about attendance uh, as often as I do on the site and on Twitter. It's why I talk about uh, fan commitment, part of what Jeremy talked about earlier. Uh, when we talked about uh, the the attendance and uh, you know uh, uh, the, the the kind of you know commitment that cities have and the media and fans and the the, the constant acknowledgement that goes on when you have what he was talking about with the Kings and then obviously USC a couple years later uh, or yeah, previously uh, you know the, the idea that you can embed something into the culture is just more than wins and it's more than losses it it takes this constant. Uh, you know, addiction to it. Though, the, the think about the Lakers, right? The Lakers, it, it 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 almost doesn't matter whether they win or lose at this point. They're the Lakers. That 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 brand, right? That identity is something more than winning or losing at this point. And obviously, it takes wins to get there. And the Lakers have uh, their history that backs that up. And to a degree, the Rams do too, but I just don't know that as we sit here going into week six or 2016 that they can afford that only because they've lost out the last uh, couple of years and obviously the Grand Show of Turf and the era that that built up the goodwill from. I don't know that Los Angeles enjoys that. And so moving forward, the idea of Jared Goff almost supersedes the idea of Jeff Fisher as the head coach. And what I think is maybe most interesting is where do these intersect? I've seen a lot of people suggest the idea that uh, Jared Goff by draft, uh, excuse me, Jeff Fisher by drafting Jared Goff uh, has given himself a, a lifeline beyond mm-hmm. this uh, contractual obligation that ends this year. Yeah. I, I don't know that that's true. And the only reason why is I don't know that, that Los Angeles and their affinity for the Rams and their affinity for Kroenke, whatever that's worth and whatever that means, uh, means anything for Jeff Fisher in, in in a way that it doesn't necessarily mean that much for Jared Goff because he hasn't played yet. And I think that that's maybe the most interesting thing going into week six and week seven before this bye is that uh, this is maybe, and I think, uh, I think it was, uh, who was it? Seth Rosen? Uh, no. Uh, who was it? We, we retweeted him. Lanny retweeted him from the Tertial Time Twitter account. Uh, Rosenthal, I think, that had mentioned uh, that these next two weeks are kind of the referendum on Case Keenum. And I think to a degree, they may end up being more the referendum on Jeff Fisher because this is the opportunity before 
we get the ultimate decision, and I don't necessarily know that this is true, but this may be the last chance to make a decision before we bring in a Jared Goff. And if that's the case, this is the last chance for the Rams to identify themselves as a Jeff Fisher team, as a Todd Gurley team, as an Aaron Donald team, as an anything but Jared Goff team. Because as soon as he takes over, the identity for this team becomes something very singular. The identity for this franchise becomes something very singular. 2019 is on the horizon. And if Jared Goff takes over after the bye, clearly what you're talking about sinking everything up for the franchise no longer has anything to do with Aaron Donald or Todd Gurley or Jeff Fisher. What you begin talking about is 2019 year three, uh, or excuse me, year four, I guess, for Jared Goff, and that that's the year where everything needs to come together. So, uh, you know, there's... You know, week six, it's one week, and I don't want to throw too much into this, Josh. Uh, but I know. You know let's, uh, where, let's... Where, it st- where it stands, this is kind of a pivotal week towards finding out whether that chapter begins now or whether it gets delayed, and who knows how long it gets delayed if it does. All right. Let's get, uh, let's get these listener questions done. So I got to be out of here by eight. Um, so... Uh, what the Rams, what Oscar wants to know is if the Rams should hang in there with the running game. You have to. That's the system, right? I mean, it's not whether they should. It's that they will. There's no way around it. Um, Here's what I'd say is the fact that they have to means they have to get more out of it. And so should they get more out of it? That's the bigger question. Fair enough. Um, is it safe to say that Todd Gurley is starting to find his groove? Uh, no. <laughs> Just no. Wait, uh, Chris, wanted to, Chris wanted to know if it's safe to say that Todd was finding his groove. Chris, um, I have bad news for you, Chris. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't even know what to say. No, absolutely not, man. No. <laughs> With Trumaine Johnson out, Manny asks, who can we keep an eye on at corner? And I know your answer is going to well, be EJ or sure, but no. I, I think well, we'd have to see. We just signed Dwayne Gratz, and I think we've been pleasantly surprised with uh, Troy Hill in uh, you know a supplement of Cody Sensabaugh. I think we're going to have to see. Maybe Dwayne Gratz is the kind of guy, and we've seen it in years past for Rams fans who remember Brandon McGee and Marcus Roberson, guys that came in in a pinch and could fill in admirably. Look. You don't need those guys to be great cornerbacks, right? You've got TJ McDonald. You've got uh, whatever we get on the all, the defensive line. You've got Alec Ogletree and Mark Barron, some talent in front of them. You don't need those guys to come in and be great cornerbacks every week the way that you expect Trumaine Johnson to be. You just need them to fill in for a week and, and get him healthy. This isn't you know a season-ending injury for Trumaine Johnson by all accounts. So hopefully if uh, – you know, it's a one-week injury at most. You get uh, some combination of EJ Gaines, obviously stepping up, but uh, Troy Hill and Dwayne Gratz coming in and just holding down the fort for a week and letting everybody else make plays so that uh, by the time Trumaine Johnson comes back, we haven't really missed a step. Yeah, and I think the thing with Trumaine Johnson is that we don't really know what what it's going to be. If it's going to be a, a, a short-term, a long-term how much impact this is going to have on the Rams season. So really what you're asking of these guys is to put together a couple weeks of competent cornerback play. And if you're getting paid the bucks that they are, 
uh, to play in the NFL, that's not a big ask. Um, or it shouldn't be. It sh- shouldn't be. Uh, and the rumors were that the scans came back negative, so I don't think it's going to be a horrible injury. Yeah. Yep, and and usually if stuff like that's getting out, uh, people people take don't don't take those kind of risks with HIPAA stuff unless they're pretty right. damn certain that the the reports can be what they say it is, because uh, otherwise, as we as we've seen, you look the fool. Uh, who needs to step it up on the Rams' offense? Mario asks the the Rams' offense. Everybody, I was gonna say everybody. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I if if I had to single, I guess I'll single two units out. It's not the wide receivers because between Kenny Britt, who I think uh, has impressed me, uh, and part of it is his chemistry with Case Keenum, uh, mm-hmm. along with Brian Quick's timeliness and the touchdowns that he scored early on in the season. I think the wide receivers has held up their part. I think that, and I uh, this is part of what I was talking about, and part of what, what I wrote today. The quarterback position isn't going to be a position of strength in this offense, regardless of who you put there. Uh, Todd Gurley is talented, but he requires other components, and so that kind of leaves me with two units. If we're looking at somebody to step up, I think we got to point to the offensive line first and foremost. But the, here's the other question, and I think they've kind of gotten a pass only because maybe it's the forgotten position on any offense. The tight ends, Josh. The, everybody was talking about Tyler Higby. Tyler Higby, myself and, included, and, and he and, is not what? making me look good. So here's my what – what are we doing at tight end? I mean, I, I get it. They're trying to work them into the running game, and Lance Kendricks isn't a great receiver, albeit you know a, a capable, experienced veteran. What the hell are we going to get out of tight ends if we're not going to get anything? I, I worry about what that means moving forward because Tyler Higby certainly hasn't impressed in his receiving capabilities through five weeks. No, he hasn't. He he looks good with his shirt off, so to speak, and and, and he's like Rob Gronkowski, but with the actual uh, without the actual uh, ability thus far. So uh, let's let's hope that Higby uh, starts putting that all together. Uh, now, I know, Joe, that you already shared a bit about your article and your soliloquy there uh, and what a fantastic one it was. I thank you for, for kind of handling that for me while I took care of some business here. Um, you got any final thoughts, though, before we get out of here? We got a beefy. We got a beefy well, podcast. Here's what I'd say. I, I, I want to wait for the kind of big picture thoughts until the bye, right? I mean, any any bye week that comes in the middle of a season like that gives you a clear opportunity to assess where you are and where you're going because it's a big enough sample size to understand things. And it's a small enough sample size to think that you can build on it moving forward, right? Uh, I don't know, man. It, it's the, the, the Rams are such a weird team, and obviously the 2016 Rams are so weird. I don't know. It, it, there's a there's a huge difference between five and two, and you know four and three or three and four. And, and the latter two are certainly where I think we're headed. Um, as opposed to losing both, uh, you know, it's possible. But certainly, I think four and three is the more likely outcome. Three and four, I'd put more likely than five and two. But it's just one of those things that I don't get a sense of anything improving in a uh, substantial way that is going to, you know, lead us to, to kind of the development that we want this season 
and, and kind of what you guys were promised in the Los Angeles market, uh, you know, for the Rams returning home and Todd Gurley and Aaron Donald and all these pieces. I don't know, man. It just doesn't feel like that's uh, uh, something that's coming anytime soon. But, and, and, you know, the recency bias of last week obviously weighs heavily. But you tell me where I'm wrong if, if you know, the, the idea that going one and one over this next stretch is something that doesn't seem like it's ominous. No, I don't, I don't think you've gone wrong, man. I, I, I think, and I've said that from my personal point of view, I, I think that there is a large difference between where the Rams could end up before the bye in, in terms of positioning, and, and most importantly, perhaps not often mentioned along with seating within your own division, but also the amount of pressure it puts on your division rivals to maintain. Sure. And if you can do that, now you've you've already got one at Seattle. Now you still have to go up there and beat them, but the Rams have proven that that's possible. Um, Arizona, so Arizona too? Arizona proved it was – Arizona had the greatest shade tweet thrown ever. Well. <laughs> um but, uh, yeah, I actually, T. Boone Pickens had the greatest shade three tweet thrown ever. That, that, that tweet is the reason Twitter exists. Here, here's what I'd ask you, looking forward to week six. And this is my concern. It, hoping we win. Obviously, all Rams fans are going to hope we win. If the Rams lose this game... Going to New York, going to London to face New York, three and three, losing to the Lions and the opportunity that they offer us in the run game. This is—I'm not saying it's a must-win game, but it feels like this is the kind of game you have to win to avoid entertaining the collapse theory. Because if if the Rams lose this game, two-win, two-game losing streak, going to London bye week in front of them, that's when you start saying, you know, the collapse is here, Jeff Fisher, all that stuff, and we know what's going to come uh, from the media. Mm-hmm. You know what's going to come. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it will come, too. So, I mean, it's if the Rams want to save that stuff off, if the Rams want to avoid... You know, one thing that Jeff Fisher forgot to mention in his 7-9 and nine bullshit speech is... Poor coaching or poor maybe results are also a key dynamic to why teams finish seven and nine. Like, there's only so many times you can pick a player up and toss him underneath the team bus before you, as you <laughs> said, you take some ownership. I, well, I guess we'll see. I, don't, I, don't <laughs> I guess we'll see what that limit is. Here's the thing I think is weird is that. Every everybody mocks Jeff Fisher, the whole seven to nine bullshit and all that, and the, the fact that he hasn't won. You know what Jeff Fisher doesn't do? He doesn't go two and fourteen, right? He doesn't go three and thirteen. And I think I think that's the thing is that, especially when you talk about the quarterback position uh, and somebody like Case Keenum. Case Keenum would look a hell of a lot worse in a lot of other systems. With the Rams, he doesn't, and the reason why is because what Fisher Ball offers you, and maybe this is a good point to end the podcast, Josh, it offers you the opportunity to compete every week. What you were talking about with Jeremy, that you guys had no idea how how you could look so bad against San Francisco and then come out and beat Seattle the next week. That's what Fisher Ball does. It raises the 
the floor, but it caps the ceiling. And so in, in that kind of a sense, I, I don't know what we're going to get uh, heading up to Detroit, whether we're going to get a sense of the higher floor or the lower ceiling. Well, we're going to find out one way or the next next week. Um, and, and certainly we'll at least have an indication about whether or not this team is leaning towards maybe a, 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 a closer toward those 9-10 wins. Uh, but I think if the Rams lose this week and, and fall back to 500, I think you can write out a 10 win season. I really do. And I'm not saying that to be condescending. I just think that that, that kind of inconsistency – uh, it doesn't lend the credence to the idea that this will be a 10-win team. Um, Here's all that makes me feel. is I'm not, You're not wrong. If we lose this game, whatever happens in London, the bye week, it's going to be the last nine games that we've always dealt with at Tertio Times uh, of just getting through a season, looking towards the draft, looking towards next year dealing with a potential Fisher extension, the draft and the fact we don't have a first round pick. I'm just not, uh, I need sleep, Josh. I thought, I you, I thought you wanted a positive note. So <laughs> hit it up. What's up? Here's a positive note, man. Uh, for all of you out there listening, uh, I recently popped the question to, uh, <laughs> this is, this is twist. And, uh, I got the yes. Uh, and there will be a video yeah. game, video game themed wedding, uh, and I, I honestly couldn't be more excited, man. My 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 wedding ring is. Uh, I gotta I gotta send you. I showed you the cake topper, right, Joe? You send me you send me pictures. I I've yeah, yet to respond of the uh, yep. of the FIFA one. The cake topper is basically the groom sitting down in front of a TV playing FIFA dejected, obviously implying that, that they lost their last online match with a pissed-off bride dragging him by the scruff of his neck, presumably to the wedding, like, stop playing FIFA. Lord. So, uh, and the best part is, is that was not my selection. That was hers. Like, I, I got out of a shower and she's like, you want to see the wedding cake topper I found? It is perfect and I want it. And I'm like, sure. I'm thinking it's going to be a princess. I'm thinking it's going to be Legend of Zelda something. And then I see FIFA and I'm like, now I know why I proposed. So uh, there's some positive note, uh, positive note to end it on, man. And uh, we will be back on Monday. Start thinking about those questions, man. We want more interaction with you guys. Send us your questions throughout the week. We will document them. We will save them. And we will we will put them on there. And during the bye week, Joe and I are going to be doing two podcasts. One dedicated specifically to college draft talk. And where different players could go. What would be great fits for the Rams. And we're... We're not even going to play. We're not. We're not even going to work within the confines of what the Rams actually have. We're going to live in a make-believe world where the Rams can get anybody. Because truthfully, we I'm, don't I'm know. If, we don't know if the Rams are trade back up into the first round. We truthfully don't. They could unload somebody that we don't see coming. Um, our, you know, Cronkies teams have done that before. 
unloaded perfectly good players at the peak of their, like they're about oh, to do right. with Bellerin. I see, I see where you're going there, Webb. <laughs> like, like, like they're about to do with Hector Bellerin. Uh, so uh, one of those is going to be a college draft talk special, and I know Joe's going to be flipping his lid over that one. But the second one, man, is going to be a listener appreciation day. We're going to take any and all questions from you guys, football-related, non-football-related. You want to ask us about movies. You want to ask us about life. It doesn't matter, man. Joe and I are here, and we, we're going to have some fun that day. Uh, looking forward to that. And also, we will preview the game coming up after the bye. But, yes, we are going to have a blast on bye week uh just because y'all deserve it. So start thinking about your NFL draft questions and start thinking about your whatever questions that you want to ask us uh, come that time. Uh, so, Joe, do you have anything before I give out our social media handles and sign us off for the night? No, man. Week six. Uh, thanks to Jeremy. Uh, extra yeah, very much. Robinson and Reisman for coming on. Uh, fun stuff. Uh, you know, it's October. Uh, here, here's what I'd say. Yeah, here's what I'd say. Uh, if you're a college fan like me and you look at a schedule like this weekend, DVR the Tennessee-Alabama game, go spend some yeah, time sure. with family because uh, this is one of the random times that you're going to get to hang out with them if you uh, schedule things around college football. Other than that, time to buckle down, man. It's mid-October. Uh, both uh, college NFL landscapes are taking shape, and as it relates to the Rams, two weeks before the bye to – uh, grab a hold of this season, and like we said, you know, if they don't do it, if you're four and three, three and four, either way, you're leaving a lot to do after the buy, and things don't look great on the schedule front, and that worries me a hell of a lot. But we'll have to see. Maybe they have, uh, maybe they have the right uh, makeup and character and personnel to step up to the challenge. We'll have to see, man. We certainly hope so. And on that note, uh, you can find us on Twitter at Turf Show Times. Pretty simple. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, not on Twitter, at Fight on Twist. Uh, you can find your boy Joe McAtee on Twitter at 3K underscore. And, and uh, you know, go check out Turf Show Times account. Any pick a writer off, you know, that, that, that we retweeted of, of our own. Pick a writer. Don't, don't complain to them, man. Don't complain to bait. Yeah, pick, pick a writer. Follow them. Yeah. Grab on to some of these new talents, man, because I'm telling That's you, right. this is this is truthfully one of the most stacked uh, teams that I have ever worked with. You have every possible want that you could have. You have people who can analyze film. You got people that can BS. You have people that can do long form. You have people who can do short form. You have people with no form. No. <laughs> we, we will get we will get you covered. Um, and I have a feature coming up uh, that I'm absolutely thrilled to write. I'm, I'm going to schedule it out for about probably two weeks because it's long form and we're probably not. I'm going to have enough time to get it edited before this Tuesday's long form. Uh, but I got a fantastic story uh, ready to go about uh, Rams community members 
and the work that they did, guys like Dan Brennan and Daniel Najera, uh, the solid, solid work that they did to get the Rams uh, on TV so that people could enjoy them. It's a great, great story about family. And honestly, it's a great story about humility and, and, and getting what you want with honey rather than anger. And I love learned a lot just by listening and i hope you guys learned something uh through my writing because this is this is honestly how you get things done in in the modern world um if if you want to watch your teams and 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 i think it's a fantastic story about the rams community fans the Ramley coming together to achieve one objective uh and and there really are some great stories in there man so uh i look forward to sharing that with you guys not this tuesday but next tuesday so be on the lookout for that other than that you can find us on the website or on twitter and we are out of here hi i'm karis fisher i want to tell you about another podcast you should check out it's called recode decode every week i talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.